What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Modern Commerce. It's good to be back in the studio. I'm joined today again by my co-hosts and co-founders. We've got Brant Chow. What's up, Brant? Yo, yo. And we got Doug Barnett. What's up, Doug? Hey, Raj. And of course, you got me, Raj, Roger Emmer. Um, welcome back to the show, guys. It's our third episode. Congratulations. We made it. We did it. it. What do they say? If you do a habit three times, then it's a habit? Yeah. Something like that? Something like that. Yeah. I think Branch is going with it because he's got a Hawaiian shirt on. He's got <laughs> those laid back vibes. Well, welcome to the show. If it's your first episode, go ahead and check us out. Um, we have a couple other episodes that are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Um, we talk about what it's like to go through Y Combinator. We talk about what it's like to mint an NFT collection. And today we're actually really excited to talk about um, some interesting challenges that we've discovered as we've um, been building Remy. So for the audience that doesn't know, Remy is a small startup that is focused on building tools and technology to enable the modern shopping experience. We do things like make your web page optimized for mobile, make it feel like a social app. We're actually going to talk about some of those things today as we get through the episode. Um, but during this time um, that we've been in business and even before that, um, we've had a chance to talk to tons of direct-to-consumer brands and really just get a feel for kind of where they're at and what some of the challenges that they might be facing are. And we want to talk about some of those things today. So, Doug, just to kick us off, we've talked to dozens, if not hundreds of brands. Just what are some of the common threads you're hearing as we're having these conversations with brands? Well, I think some of the challenges, most of the challenges are tied back to things that are not normal. Um, you have a supply chain crisis that is built off the back of a, you know, a hundred a pandemic that happens once every hundred years. You have a inflation problem that is driving costs across all parts of the business that hasn't happened for some some odd 40 years. You have um, kind of an advertising marketing challenge that was brought on um, in the last 12 months that is uh, fairly challenging. If you, if you are not diversified and if you had not, I guess, built um, or relied too heavily on one specific channel, that is probably pretty challenging. Um, all of those things seem to come together to create a really challenging environment right now because mm-hmm. people, you know, et, et, this is not just true for DTC brands, it's true for all of us. Right. There's, um, and then on top of that, because of inflation, you've got, uh, you know, a job market that has been very challenging um, for people to hire as well as, You've probably got employees coming to you saying, um, I know this just happened with my my wife's school she is on the board of. His teachers are saying, I can't even afford to drive anymore mm-hmm. from my house to the school every day. It doesn't make sense for me to come mm-hmm. into school. Yep. Like and they did a wage adjustment. So there's there's like I said, cost pressure across the whole business, but the labor market and wanting to do right by your people, of course, is super important. So all those things create a, a really challenging macro environment for for DTC brands right now. Yep. 
And some of the stuff that we're focusing on is helping brands basically can control what they can um, and, you know, kind of make the most of this situation that really there is a lot of stuff that we've never seen in our lifetime. And everyone's, you know, we've all talked about COVID and how unprecedented and all that stuff it is. We all know it's crazy and it's been hard. Um, Brant, you have a ton of experience in digital marketing. You've helped build um, startups into massive companies. Just really quickly, kind of explain how most DTC brands have gone about advertising in the last, call it five to 10 years. Basically, the the playbook has been um, that as I, me as a user, as I navigate around the internet, the companies have had the right or the ability, we should say, to track my, um, you know, patterns of, of navigation around a website, around an app. Um, in some cases, it's even location data, all kinds of stuff like that. And then store that in their own server and then attach a unique ID to me as a person and then use that to join it up with other data sets as well. And so there were periods of time, especially early on in this game, where you know you could track someone down to their name, where they had been that specific day, um, kind of a, a creepy level of, of data gathering. And that's tapered over time to the point where um, you know, basically, uh, as people have kind of known what's, or I guess have like looked into what's going on here, it's, you know, they've, they've thrown up some objections, but, um, for companies, it's made it real easy to say, okay, well, I want to be able to, you know, get my product in front of a very, very specific cohort of people. Mm -hmm. And most of that advertising is Facebook and Instagram primarily, right? But well, and that's, I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, currently, but just if you track through the last 15 years, it's kind of shifted, I'd say, mm -hmm. every three years sure. or so. There's kind of a new major platform that pops up. The reason it's mostly Facebook and Instagram is because the way that Apple defines data is that once the user's on your platform, you can collect the data. So if you look at most major advertisers, be it Apple or Amazon or Google, they are collecting that data up front or as, as you're there. That is not true for Facebook. Mm -hmm. And so that's primarily why the Facebook platform is the one that's being impacted yep. the most by this. And they have a crazy amount of detail like you, ex like you explained. I remember the very first time it kind of was going around the internet and people were like, hey, go to this URL and you can see what Facebook knows about you. And I was like, ooh, whoa, it's pretty crazy. Um, so, yeah, and, you know, there's been some objections to some of this and how this data has been used, and I think rightfully so. Um, it, there are definitely, you know, proven cases where nefarious things have happened with this data. And so Apple being one of the major platforms or the, the major computing platform on mobile um, started to put some things into their operating system, basically you know, from their point of view to give users more control of their privacy. So you started seeing things happening like you get a window that pops up and says, hey, the weather app has checked your location 50 times in the last three hours. You want to let that happen. Um, 
one of the things that they introduced was this new concept called app tracking transparency. And I'm, I'm going to ask you again, Brant, to, uh, to explain a little bit about this. But um, this is the prompt if you, as a user, have seen when you open a new app for the first time, you're immediately, like, one of the first things you see is ask app not to track. And so, you know, what are they trying to prevent there, Brant? But what are some of the maybe intended or unintended consequences that we're seeing um, from our DTC brands that they're facing from that? So Apple's stated intentions are basically to to let users know that tracking is happening, um, which I I do agree with in a sense that it was not always obvious. Um, and essentially the, the downstream effects to businesses are that they aren't able to really accurately see who is visiting their website anymore, or in the case of an app, um, see, you know, who's, who's visiting. And the, the sort of quickest way to sum up, I think why that is makes it hard for a business is if I'm a smaller business, let's say I'm just getting started or I'm kind of up to like 500,000 in revenue and I have a new, um, you know, makeup line or whatever. Well, makeup's really competitive. How are people going to find me? How are they going to see me? And if I can't basically have the ability to serve up an ad specific to people that might want to buy makeup, well, it's just kind of hard for me to ever get found. And that ability to target that specifically has been lost with this change. Mm -hmm. By the way, what is amazing about what Brant just said is inherent in the ability to target at a massive scale is now it's kind of a very classic David versus Goliath. It allowed David to have inherent advantages that only Goliaths used to have. Because in order to advertise um, in a meaningful way that that actually hits CAC targets and ROAS targets that you have to achieve in order to succeed as a business, you have to be able to target in a very specific way, have high conversions across millions and millions and millions of people. And I think most of the time people look at that as a negative, but I think targeted advertising for most people is very good as long as it's done in an elegant manner. And there's probably a debate about whether or not this is the right way versus the way it was happening. I don't think that's a topic for this podcast. But it is impacting most of those small and medium-sized businesses that were, that were relying on this channel being very effective for them as a kind of first order of going to market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're not going to spend a ton more time talking about this. I will just call out a recent article from Ben Thompson on Stratechery. It really breaks this down. You do have to subscribe for it to see it, I think. Sometimes they're free, but if you're interested in reading more, there's probably tons and tons of content about what's happening with app tracking transparency online. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, what can be done? How can brands, um, kind of combat this change? One of the things that we hear, hear a lot is it just costs us a lot more money to acquire the same customer as it did a year ago. And so if it cost a dollar a year ago, now it's costing three or $4. And, um, with these D2C brands, sometimes their margins aren't very big. And so it's becoming very, very challenging to run these businesses. Um, but we think that there's some interesting things and definitely ways that brands can, you know, overcome some of this. And that's really through their own website. Um, most 
of these brands and most of these stores that you go to are on a platform called Shopify. Um, and Shopify has been an amazing tool. It's allowed tons of, of companies to exist um, that would maybe have not existed in the past. Uh, but Brent, you, you made a comment on the last podcast about um, the design of web pages being print-based. You remember that? Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you just expound on that again? Like, What are some of the problems we see and we think exist with the way these stores or just you know web pages in general are being built? Well, I think um, we essentially established a pattern of building websites for e-commerce back in 1999. Amazon released their version that's more or less the same. Um, there's a lot more on the page now, but it's kind of been the same format ever since then. And when someone starts up a store, there's there's kind of this um, feeling of, you know, I need to have this section and a homepage and it needs to have this kind of information on it. And there's it's, it's essentially memeing what's kind of already out there. And a lot of this is based in, you know, science uh, conversion data that people have done over the past 20 years. So it's not that it's it's nothing, but what you know we're seeing is that there's been this shift to mobile which is not new what is new is that most of the purchasing is happening on mobile now that has tipped um, in favor of mobile in the past five years and so the story used to be well okay people browse on mobile but they actually purchase on desktop and that's just not true Mm -hmm. anymore at all Mm -hmm. but the mobile experiences have largely kind of stayed the same and so um, that's one dynamic. The other dynamic is that because D2C brands have to make judgment calls somewhere of how to allocate the resources, I mean, the very nature of D2C is that they cut out the middlemen. Right. And so they have to handle a lot more stuff. And as a result, the way they staff their teams, they tend to cut on actually um, administering the technology. So you don't have like an engineering team or a product team for most DDC brands until they maybe get to 200, 300 million in size, just from what we see. And so as a result, they don't really have, you know, much um, real control over what goes on on their website. They can go pick up plugins off Shopify. They can work with agencies, which most do in, in a lot of cases. But when it comes to kind of a, you know, figuring out how to administer a really good mobile first experience. It's beyond the scope of what an agency is going to really be able to deliver for them. And it's beyond the scope of, you know, certainly what they can do on their own. So to, to that Brent, I think one of the core challenges here, if you look, if you just look at like skill sets and focus, what is a tech team not going to fully understand? They're not going to understand how you want to deliver a customer experience, how you want to get through your ad campaigns, the messaging you're trying to deliver. And then conversely, you don't really understand what tech needs to be built to achieve those things. And so you kind of have this growing list of like, these are all the things we want to deliver this incredible customer experience. And the tech team is not, what they're not able to do is say, well, if you want to deliver this customer experience, this is how we should prioritize your list. They come back to you and say, well, what's your list? Could you prioritize it for us? And we'll just Mm -hmm. go through this list. So what it becomes is an endless list 
of improvements that no one is really sure if it's delivering on the value for both the consumer experience or ROI for the brand. And it's this is not unique. It's This is pretty much every single brand that we talk to. It's a brutal cycle that's very difficult to get out of. And it's not really anyone's fault. It's that there there's a mismatch in understanding between the two sides. I think one of the things that's kind of stood out to me as we talked to these these companies, even somewhat large companies, their quote-unquote marketing team is like one or two people. Um, and so there's a lot of people who are wearing a lot of hats and they have to go do the ad buying. They have to cr- come up with the creative. Then they have to go to their agency and, like you said, hey, we want it to look like this and kind of work through that backlog. And so it just becomes really almost like an impossible game for these these brands to win. Okay, so Brent, you talked about um, kind of the, uh, the philosophy of people browse on mobile, but they buy on desktop. Even to this day, I just want to ask kind of off the top of your head, how many brands do you think actually look at their website on mobile? Regularly, I don't think many of them actually use their own website on mobile. Yeah. And and especially when they're designing. I mean, I've watched the process happen uh, so many times to know that they all have 27-inch widescreen monitors mm-hmm. and they're designing in that all day long. And, you know, it's not that they don't sort of have a, you know, st- a process in their, their design process philosophy to, to go build a mobile view mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to actually just like navigating around the website, whether you're the developer or the designer, it's just not, they're just looking at it on their huge screens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, a follow-up question to that. If you were to ask a lot of these brands how fast their web their website is, say on a mobile connection, what would be the answer? I, I, they seem to fall into two camps. One is that it's, you know, fast. It's, it works super well. Mm-hmm. The other camp is that they feel like it's slow and need to improve it. Um, they've kind of, you know, know that it's a problem. Um, in both cases, though, it's not really rooted in reality. And right. when I say that, I mean they're not using their website on what the average connection is in the United States. Mm -hmm. And so if you basically lock down the amount of bandwidth that your average cell connection gets, so just like the middle of the bell curve, when people are navigating the internet, the amount of data they're able to transmit, if you lock that bandwidth and load up a site, most of these sites are not loading faster than six seconds. Really? Wow. That's pretty slow. Yeah. And if you, especially the people who think their website's loading fast if you were to kind of present that fact to them they would say no yeah they don't they don't believe it until you know maybe i've, I've shown videos even in the past and it's sometimes even hard for them to <laughs> you fake that no that's not real yeah yeah for whatever reason yep so i'm asking these questions um to kind of lead into talking about one of the products that we're that we're launching here at remy we have this philosophy, and, and Brand, I want you to talk about this because this is really your brainchild of being designed for mobile and being super performant. Um, so can you just kind of describe some of the insights that you had that led us down this product path? And then tell us just a little bit about kind of what our landing 
page um, product does? Yeah, so I think the beginning was during COVID, spending a lot of time by myself looking at TikTok. That's kind of where it all started. Mm -hmm. And what stuck out to me was how much more information-dense video could be. And TikTok provided a lot more examples of that than I had ever seen. The fact that people were basically trying to optimize all these different kinds of messages, largely for entertainment, but down into seven to 10 seconds. And TikTok's tooling was interesting to me because basically the, the constraints of mobile and creating content on mobile, specifically for mobile, it kind of like created a different format than we'd ever seen. And so, you know, you had people that were generating a lot of, um, a lot of attention with more raw UGC like footage, um, titles that they could kind of put over top of different parts of the video. And, you know, not that these concepts were necessarily new, but just the fact that you could kind of do it all very quickly and, and essentially produce a video that could have millions of views and you could do it in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that sort of iteration of um, that speed of broadcasting a message in a sense, I think is really the, the essence of what makes TikTok powerful. But then if I went and looked across the internet, we're still kind of operating, like you said, back in this print world still, where I'm trying to basically communicate, you know, three major concepts across a website that I have to scroll, um, you know, that has 20 different graphics on it and all kinds of text and just hoping that, you know, I can, I can basically communicate the same types of messages, um, that, that I just think video does better. And then I started just kind of modeling this out a little bit just in design tools and in Figma and okay, well, what would it look like if a brand who was trying to sell like a handbag is kind of one of the products I started with. What would that look like if I was just thinking about mobile first really, and not just trying to make like a desktop version go smaller, which is how I think most brands mm -hmm. still approach this. And I looked all over their Instagram and their TikTok, and they had all this really interesting content that had already taken what you'd see on a landing page or a product page or kind of all the text that you'd typically see on their website. And they had condensed the message down into a five second video already. They already had all this stuff. So I it's like, oh, okay, well, could we put this on the web? Like, could you essentially kind of take the best of social apps, TikTok, Instagram, all these different kind of things that they figured out and spent hundreds of millions of dollars on innovating on, could you put that on a website itself? And I think the timing worked out nicely because specifically with mobile web browsers, there have been major changes in allowing you to do more with video in the browser. There've been more with just allowing, like with the processing power of phones where it now is feasible to create those app-like experiences inside of a browser on a phone that you just couldn't do before. And so I think the, you know, 
the all those things coming together basically sort of illuminated an opportunity where by constraining down to mobile we're able to create these really interesting high fidelity experiences videos a huge part of it that feel like social apps um and do it in actually less time and effort than it takes to build like a normal website because you're dealing with such a smaller screen and surface area but that's where you know 80 percent of the traffic is anyways well you know what's super interesting about that is if you if you kind of get down to a form factor it's actually happened across every social media platform that if a brand wants to execute commerce on facebook or instagram or tiktok or snapchat they're actually forced to go into a format that the social app is programmed and say, you're going to use this. Mm -hmm. Sometimes um, I took a strategy class five or six years ago and the professor, you know, said as part of this class, the dumbest thing I ever hear people say is to think outside the box. He's like, it is the box that breeds creativity. And I think a lot of times it's, there is no box on a website. It's a blank canvas, and so you get to paint whatever you want. And I think brands spend time expressing themselves with UX when they should just be expressing themselves with content, which is exactly what's happening on social. And Brant's already describing it where he's like, I see brands take all this really crazy information, condense it down to a 15-second video that's hyper-effective, and then they never use it. Yep. to go convert customers. So if you could create an experience that was mobile first for the website that actually built the walls of the box that made the brand fit into it and say you're not actually going to spend time working on UX. In fact, a lot of what brand said, that's already been scientifically programmed as this is what works, this is what doesn't. There are best practices across hundreds of aspects of e-commerce sites already. Mm -hmm. What the brand needs to do is build great content and build great products yep. and build great customer experiences. And if those three things are true, you should win. But right now there is not a product that helps brands do that. Well, it's, it's, it's for good reason too, that it doesn't exist because if, especially if you're trying to optimize for mobile, there's two major barriers in my mind. One is that the, the science or the, the UX of, condensing all that information and displaying it in a way that makes sense for people to navigate around is really challenging. I mean, anyone that's tried to work on a mobile app or a mobile website knows this to some degree. Um, but if you start mobile first, um, I think that this is actually even, even harder to, to reason through because you're dealing with paradigms that are just somewhat unfamiliar, like your, your typical, um, marketing team and, and brand team. Uh, and, you know, I guess the classic way of thinking through a website is it's like, okay, well, well, let's work on the homepage. Okay. Well, there's a header, there's a hero image, there's sort of these content blocks and I can kind of make like content block one, two, three, four, and then we're done. And they all have a, a kind of a look and feel that is more or less the same across all of them. But if I'm trying to condense um, something like reviews uh, from a e-commerce site and put it 
into a mobile format and then allow people to get to the information that they want to quickly, it's really hard because I have to think about, okay, well, if someone wants to look for, you know, a makeup kit and they have lighter skin versus darker skin or some kind of, you know, specific thing that they're seeking for, I can't rely on just purely information hierarchy for them to be able to navigate there. I have to come up with some more novel ways of um, essentially doing uh, UX design UI to allow them to kind of get to where they want to go. And so it building a site like that from a technical standpoint is more like building an actual app, which there's just not really like the capability to do in a lot of these brands or even the agencies they work with, to be honest, let alone the, the, the kind of like strategic know-how to actually go think to do it in the first place. Like if you go use YouTube, the mobile app, and you pay attention to how they kind of condense information across the app, it's, it's a lot of work to keep track of like all those different distinct screens and how you decide to show when, you know, one versus the other, that is just too much kind of like uh, cognitive load for, you know, someone to think through. So we've kind of talked about how we're, how we've been looking at the problem, some of the tech we're, we're building. I'm just going to, for, for our listeners, I'm going to describe this. I'm going to try to punch this in, in the video um, if I can, for those of you watching on YouTube, but um, so traditionally when a brand runs an ad, say on Facebook or whatever, they'll have an image and they'll have some copy and then someone feels compelled and they tap on that ad. And what usually happens is it goes one of two places, maybe one of three places. It's going to go to their homepage. It's going to go to a product detail page for that specific product, or it's going to go to like a top sellers page, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's not a ton of customization. And there's not a lot of um, thought about, hey, if they're coming from this particular ad, what if we serve them this particular content? So as these prices for the cost essentially is going up for people because of some of these tracking changes and you know maybe that will smooth itself out or there'll be new ways in the future um, that will bring costs down a little bit, we're basically saying when you have their attention we need to be as effective as possible at converting those people on your page. And so with our product, you, the brand has to come with a couple, basically two things. They have to come with some content, so that can be a video or an image. Um, and that's actually pretty much it because we're taking the rest of it from their website. So we pull all the reviews in, pull the name, the description of the product. And what the end result ends up looking like is something that is very social native. You might even be able to show like an uneducated, you know, like your mom or something, our product, and they wouldn't know the difference between what it look, what ours looks like and like TikTok, for example. Video loads really quick. Content loads really quick. You can swipe through it. Um, super responsive. And so we believe that as brands have more dynamic campaigns with content that is tailored specifically to um, the customer and where they're coming from, they're going to have better conversion. And, and just to like dive in on this just a little bit, 
I ran all the landing pages for Adobe for a couple of years. I ran every single conversion experiment you could possibly imagine across every geography, every product, hundreds of millions of impressions. The number one lever for conversion was what you're saying. It was just tailoring the copy specifically and sometimes the imagery on the page to where they came from. So if the ad said one headline, it was just putting the headline back on that page again. And it sounds simple, um, but this outperformed changing button colors and form size and all those other things that you hear about by you know, an order of magnitude. And if a brand, I mean, any, any brand listening to this would know, to actually do that in practice is just not really feasible. Even if you're trying to use, you know, let's say Optimizely or some tool like that, it's just too much work to actually execute on to make kind of like a meaningful dynamic landing page for all of your different channels and campaigns for that matter. So to maybe to say in a very concise way, wrap up the last two kind of segments, it's actually not enough for the website just to be built for mobile specifically. It's not enough that it's super performant and fast. It's not enough that it allows uh, a brand to put their best foot forward from a brand perspective, from a content perspective. It also has to be very easy to implement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because the key, what Branch just said, is in order for you to get the value of what these things can produce for you, you actually have to be building micro funnels, which means... You know, most brands we look at, they've got somewhere between 10 and 15, 20 different variations of the same ad running on Facebook at the same time, mm -hmm. driving all to the same <laughs> web page. How in the world can a brand tell where things are breaking down for them if they don't know at the page data level what's happening? And so if it is performant, if it's mobile first where all the traffic is coming from, and it's easy to implement, every single ad should have a different web page that's tied back to the ad campaign. And now you can see exactly which variations of your entire funnel are working or not working, and then optimize from there. And tailor this exact message that Brant's saying back to the ad campaign and produce... I mean, the last brand that I was at, we had thousands of landing pages. Yep. And we had a team of three or four full-time people. That's all they did. Not that many people have that, right? Like Nobody has yeah. it. <laughs> no one. And so when you talk about a DTC brand, they've never been able to implement a microfunnel strategy. And so what ends up happening is they don't have all the tools needed and you've got to actually build the, the web pages in as part of the ad campaign. That is the number one thing I think people can yep. do today to, to combat some of these ATT changes from Facebook yep. or, sorry, from, from Apple that, that impacted Facebook um, and take control of your website yep. and not have this massive laundry list of items that you're waiting on from your dev team. Yeah, so the landing page, it's almost, it's almost an afterthought, really. They spend all this time on the copy and, and the stuff on the ad itself and then they're sometimes it feels like they're just like well where should we send it 
I don't know. Homepage sounds good. Um, and what we're saying is there's going to be a, there's a much more elegant solution. It's super easy to use and it's going to basically complete that circle for brands on their ad campaigns to produce higher converting um, advertisements. So tons of interesting stuff there. Um, we'll have some demos and we have, we'll have our product out very soon. You guys can check that out. Doug, what are some other things that brands can do to combat some of these, um, this environmental changes that they're facing? Yep. So over time, more and more and more of your traffic should be organic. That's coming to your website. And I think the brands that were impacted the most is brands that were relying on Facebook for call it 80% of their traffic. And if that were true, you're probably dead or, or close to dead right now. And the way that you do that is you've got to, as you, as you move buyers through the buying process, you need to be capturing data from them that moves them into your owned channels, whether that's social, email, email or SMS, and now you've got control. And now how much time are you spending understanding the cohort of customers and the customer journey that when they buy X product, the next product that they're going to buy is Y. And then the next product they're going to buy is Z. And how do you build campaigns for those customers to come back and buy from you? Because the, the other lever that you have, other than making your website work better for you when you don't control how well Facebook is operating for you anymore is, now that I've acquired a customer, I'm going to maximize how much they're worth to me while they're, while they're a customer of mine. And that means, one, understanding the data that your brand has. Two, understanding your customer journeys, which, I don't know, most brands are not thinking a lot about. And then three, on a very active basis, building custom campaigns to go maximize those two things for you um, through your own channels, be that social, email, or SMS. And if a brand can do those two things, if they can maximize LTV, lifetime value, through their own channels, and they can work on the part of the conversion process that they do control to make their ad campaigns more efficient, I think they're not only going to weather um, kind of this change, they're going to come out ahead of where they were before. And so you've got to be very smart in the way that you're capturing email and SMS. You've got to be really smart about the way you're attacking those platforms once you have them. But that's the other thing that I think we can't gloss over as we're thinking about how to help um, brands through this. Yeah, I think a common thing that we've heard um, as we've been talking to brands is they're, they've all, over the past couple of years or year or so, implemented some kind of tool to capture and to send SMS marketing. Um, but you do kind of hear like, uh, you know, we're capturing it or we're not really using it. We're not really sure how to use it. Uh, we're just testing. Um, Brent, you know, as a head of product here at Remy, what are some ways that we're thinking about making text campaigns, for example, more engaging and higher converting? Yeah, I mean, I, I think... I would say I would say most are sending these regularly. So I they it's not that they're like just dipping their toe in the water here by any means. They're sending a decent amount of volume, but when you ask them uh, how it's going, um, sometimes there's a bit of of gap in understanding 
you know, how it fits into the, the overall customer journey. And I think that, you know, this is back to just basically this formula of get someone's attention and send them to our webpage, to our homepage. Um, in most cases, try and get, send them a text. There might be a deal code, get back to our webpage, our homepage. And I think where we're looking to help brands make some innovation here is in the sense that, okay, well, you've got their attention. Most of these brands have figured out how to do that just fine through their ads or through their SMS even, um, or through their emails. But once you get their attention, we want to give them a lot more options of what to do with it. And so, you know, if you're going to administer a campaign that has a special deal for your most important customers, for example, landing on a page that has like a personalized message from the founder that's a video that just starts playing as soon as you show up that looks and feels something like TikTok and it's a one-click purchase experience, I think is significantly better than, you know, what they're doing now. And that's just one example of uh, a type of product that we're looking to enable. Well, that's just a little bit of a sneak peek of some of the other stuff we're building. Um, There'll be more to share on that in the future. So thanks guys for joining us for another episode of Modern Commerce. I think we're going to call that a wrap. And, oh, I've always wanted to say this, you guys. Oh no. I've (laughs) always wanted to say this. Go to uh, go to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a five star review. Ooh, <laughs> is there an equivalent on Spotify? Spotify, you can uh, like it. I think I don't I, know. I actually, I actually don't, don't know. know. I don't know. Whatever it is on Spotify, go do that. Go to the Apple Podcasts. Give us a five star review. It really helps us. At least that's what I've heard a lot of people say on other podcasts before. Yeah. So hit us up. We'll catch you next time.